will be a safe place to process. So like I said, this fall, Thursday nights, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles or if you just want to read uh, in your handout with us, we're going to just read the first four verses of this Gospel uh, and consider what it has for us uh, and what the rest of this Gospel might have for us for this semester. Let's read this together. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. This is God's word for us tonight. So I want to look at tonight uh, how Luke introduces his gospel. Is What he's basically telling us is that Jesus is good news. Jesus is good news. I don't know how many of you remember where you were the summer of uh, 2014, or really as the summer of 2014 was coming to a close since school starts uh, so early. Um, but summer of 2014, if you remember, was a pretty tumultuous one. Uh, at the end of that summer was when uh, Michael Brown was shot by a police officer in Ferguson uh, and all the strife, the national strife. Uh, and, and then it seemed like story after story of young men being gunned down by police officers that seemed to have followed ever since. Uh, and there was also, uh, globally, not just concerning our country, uh, news of ISIS uh, and who they were and what they were trying to do uh, in the Middle East was beginning to spread. At least it was beginning to spread. Stories were going all around social media, and that's, that's the real one that, that I remember, is because all sorts of different horrifying stories were flying around social media about ISIS and they're burning this and they're tearing down this and they're doing this to children and they're doing this to women and they're doing this to Christians. And it was kind of hard to sift through. It was kind of mind-boggling that all this could be happening. Uh, And a lot of horrific things indeed were happening over there and especially um, to the most innocent among us um, at the hands of ISIS. But one night as I was going to bed... um, I don't know why, I still do this and I shouldn't. I open Facebook like as I'm getting in bed. Um, and probably the most horrifying image that I saw through that news cycle uh, popped up in my news feed. And it was just a picture of a little toddler in the Middle East sitting on the ground with barrel, gun barrels surrounding his head. And I remember that just utterly unsettling me. I have four children, so obviously that, that unsettled me a little bit. Uh, and it was hard to go to sleep that night. And I remember the first thing I did the next day was trying to find out where this picture came from uh, and what the new story behind it was. Well, come to find out, um, the picture was horrifyingly real. But it actually had been taken a couple of years earlier. Uh, and it had actually been taken in Yemen and not Iraq. And so I, I remember that story to say this, that... Even in our day of instant everything, instant pictures, instant audio, instant video, instant news, instant overflow of all information all the time, right? Even in our day, it takes time to sift through information, to process information, to process the data, to process the story, to peel it back and to find just what is the truth there, right? Even in our day and age, we have to do that to find truth. So I want you to think about it 
This is exactly what was going on in Luke's day. Uh, Luke, living, uh, living and writing a few decades after Jesus' death, uh, but he's a Christian now. He's a part of the church. News about Jesus is going all over the world. People are hearing about this Jesus. They're hearing about who he claimed to be. They're hearing about these people that are giving their lives to say that they're his followers, right? And so it's spreading. And so people find themselves hearing about this Jesus uh, and trying to sift through the data. And what we find here in this gospel is that this guy named Luke uh, comes alongside this guy, some guy named Theophilus. And what he wants to do is he wants to help him journey through the asking and the answering of the questions, just who was and who is this Jesus. That's what Luke is doing in his gospel. He's kind of like an investigative reporter. He wants to help us ask that question. He wants to help us answer that question. Who is this Jesus? And that's the same journey that we're going to be through, be in uh, this whole semester. We're asking, as you can see, my brilliantly titled sermon series graphic, Dr. Who, right? We're asking Dr. Luke, he was a physician, who is this Jesus? And that's what we'll be doing uh, this whole semester. See, I'm, I'm smart. Um, anyway, but that's the journey we're on. And I, I invite you week in and week out to come and process that with us. Um, this good news that Luke offers us about this man named Jesus who claimed to be God, his disciples who claimed that he was raised from the dead, and then uh, this early church that had no history, even though it had Jewish roots, no history of worshiping a human being as God, all of a sudden started looking and talking about this man who lived in Nazareth and saying that he was God himself in the flesh. That's what Luke wants to tell us about. Who is this Jesus? So as we start tonight, I just want to look at three, I want to ask three quick questions uh, to help us root ourselves in this series and in this, in this letter, okay? Um, who wrote this gospel? Who is this gospel about and who is it for? So the first one is who wrote this gospel, and we've already kind of let the cat out of the bag on that one. Well, Luke actually never self-identifies himself uh, as the author of this gospel, uh, but early church history we have Luke uh, being universally acknowledged as uh, the author of this gospel. What do we know about him? Well, uh, if you know anything about Greek, the only reason I do is because I had to go to seminary, um, you would know that he uh, is a very skilled writer. So he was very highly educated, very smart guy. Um, no one person wrote more of the New Testament than Luke. He wrote Luke and Acts, and that makes up 25% of your New Testament in your Bible. Okay? In Colossians chapter 4, we have the Apostle Paul calling Luke the beloved physician. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4 and Philemon, Paul calls him a fellow worker. Then in Acts, as you read through Acts, there's usually the narrator, Luke, is, in, is talking in third person. But all of a sudden, as he's talking about some events that happened, he starts saying, we. Um, in, implying that he was there with Paul on some of those journeys uh, that Paul went on. Here's what I think the most amazing thing is here at the outset. And if you look over it, you can see. Luke clearly states that he was not an eyewitness. Think about that for a second. He clearly states he was not there. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't hear Jesus talk. He didn't see Jesus die. He didn't see Jesus raised from the dead. He clearly says, um, and, and basically if you gather up the information that he gives there, he, uh, he says he was not an eyewitness. But he does state um, that he has paid close attention to all the things that have been handed down uh, by, by eyewitnesses. And he claims that he has seen things accomplished among us. By their word, right? Uh, as he's seen the growth of the church and people being changed and believing this, this good news. 
And so it makes sense um, why he would set out to write it down. He says he set out to write this down, even though he says also he's not the first one that did it. It makes sense why he would write it down. You read verse 4. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Right? Again, the news and the message of Jesus is now going out into the world. Meaning by now, it's starting to go out beyond places that Jesus had actually visited and been. And so people are even more now trying to process, what is this big deal about this guy named Jesus from Nazareth? Why do I need to pay attention to him? And so like any news of great import, people are trying to sift through it and process it. And so Luke says, look at verse 1, the narrative of the things. Luke says, Theophilus, I want to tell you a story. I want it to be accurate. I want it to be something that you can trust. And I want it to help bring you certainty about the things that you've been hearing and the things that you've been taught. That's Luke, and that's his aim in this gospel. Let's move on to the next question. Who is this gospel about? Okay, Uh, Again, not directly stated in these opening verses, but um, I'm assuming we're in the South. Most of y'all have grown up around Christianity, so you kind of know what gospels are about. They're about Jesus. But look at what he, what he does say. He says, many have undertaken to compile narratives about this guy. There have, been things, there have been things because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, even though I have not met him that, um, in the flesh, there, I've seen these things accomplished among us. There's these eyewitnesses, and then there's these people whom the eyewitnesses have told. And Luke says, I have followed it all. All of it. And I want to write it down. And I want it to be something that makes sense to you. Because, again, I want it to give you certainty. I want you to be able to be sure about who this Jesus is. Now, again, certainty about what? Jesus. Who He is. Where He came from. What He did. What He said. How He died. How He was raised from the dead. And how He now sits enthroned at the right hand of God Himself. Right? Some big news, you would say, maybe. Luke wanted to set forth this orderly account. He wanted to be accurate so that we could be sure. Uh, N.T. Wright, um, author, theologian, Anglican uh, uh, from Britain, he says this. He says, Christianity is about something that happened. (laughs) Duh. It's about something that happened to Jesus, to Jesus of Nazareth. It's about something that happened through Jesus of Nazareth. And so N.T. Wright says that because what he's saying is, in other words, if you want to know anything about Christianity, if you want to grow in your understanding at all in this thing called Christianity, the faith or living it or whatever, you have to deal with this Jesus. It is part and parcel about this man named Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was born in Bethlehem. We'll look at that next week. Christmas in August, y'all. Yay! Um, If y'all want to dress up, it's cool. Um... We'll look at his birth, we'll look at things that he said, we'll look at things that he did, we'll look at his death, we'll look at the last week of his life, right? It all has, it all centers around this man from Nazareth. Tim Keller, uh, he's an author, uh, was a pastor of a, of, up until just recently, he was a pastor of a, of a big church in New York City, uh, but also really well known for his books, he's a great author. Uh, his, probably his most popular book is a book called The Reason for God, came out. Uh, a long time ago, where he basically deals in the first half of his book with people's common objections to religion, uh, and particularly particularly uh, Christianity. In the second half of his book, he kind of makes a case for Christianity. Well, he did. He's done a bunch of talks at Google. Google headquarters hosts 
the series called Talks at Google, and they bring in authors and other people to come in and talk. And Keller, uh, when I don't know if this was the first time he went, but when his book Reason for God was kind of becoming popular, they brought him in. And he basically just in his talk did a synthesis of his book. But the best thing that he does, and you can still look, at, uh, look it up on YouTube and watch the whole thing, uh, he does a Q&A at the end. And the last guy that stands up and talks... Uh, says this. It's very clever. And this is what he says to Tim Keller. He says, well, you see, I'm God. And unless you bow down and worship me, I'm going to send you to my hell. Oh, and by the way, I died for you as well out in Antarctica. And though I don't have any rational evidence, you should believe me. And Tim Keller, without missing a beat, he says, but you see, Christianity never does that. Christianity doesn't say without rational evidence. Christianity says, here are the eyewitnesses. Go and deal with them. That's exactly what Luke's doing. And history and, and scholarship have proven over and over that Luke was a very able, uh, uh, able historian. And so Luke is coming along. He's inviting us to come along. He's coming alongside us. And he's saying, look, you've heard about this Jesus. I've heard about this Jesus. I've heard about the things that he's done. I've heard and I've seen the things that are going on from the eyewitnesses. And I've seen how he continues to work by his spirit as people hear this story and their lives are changed and they believe. And he says, above all, through this story, I want you, do you hear a recurring theme, to have certainty. To be able to believe it, to be able to put your hands on it, to be able to, for it to be a concrete thing to you and not something that sounds too good to be true. How would we come about that certainty? One commentator, Michael Wilcox, says, how will we get this certainty? By some mystical experience? By some deep study of theology and philosophy? No. By reading and meditating on the plain facts of the story of Jesus and here's the thing about Christianity, y'all. It's been doing the same thing ever since. Meditating, reflecting, asking the hard questions. They're not easy. All the questions aren't easy about the Bible and about Jesus and about the Gospels. But that's what historic Christianity has offered ever since, is the plain facts of the story of Jesus, and that's what Luke wants to do as well. Let's talk about the last thing. Who is this Gospel for? Well, Luke does explicitly state this. Um, in verse 3, he's writing to someone named Theophilus. Whether it was an individual person that he knew, whether it was a code name for a church, we're not really sure. But he writes that they might have certainty regarding the things he's been taught. So that tells us two things, okay? One is Luke wasn't just writing for writing's sake. You get that? Like, some, some of you artistic people, you like to just, like, go out into the sunshine and sit on a blanket and, like, write. I, about things, I don't know. Um, and Luke wasn't just writing to write. He had a purpose, an intention. He had an orderliness by which he wanted to execute it. He, um, and so he, he wasn't just writing for writing's sake. But the second thing that tells us about having, uh, that he wants Theophilus to have certainty, it means that this gospel, this good news that Luke is going to unfold as he relays to us the plain facts of the life of Jesus is that it tells us that it is for any and all who want to come and who want to be more certain or who want to ask the questions or who want to peek uh, and, um, and, and deal with their curiosity. But here's the thing. This is what I love about this. When you read even just these first few verses, I think you can even now begin to pick up on this, that Luke had a clear expectation 
that this narrative of the things accomplished among them, if told to other people, would do something. You get that? Luke had a clear expectation that this narrative of the things accomplished among them would do something when it was told and when it was heard. Because that's what he'd been seeing in the birth and the growth of the church. There's a reason that the eyewitnesses delivered the things that they saw. That's the history and the formation of the church and of the New Testament canon. Peter, the disciple, in his uh, second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the coming, not just the appearance of Jesus, but the power of His coming. They had full expectation that that story would do something in people's lives. That it would do something in the world. And actually, what you, another thing that you find in the New Testament is actually people who didn't believe the story, who actually rejected the story, they were noticing that the story was doing things. And it made them even matter. In Acts chapter 17, we have Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. Uh, and as soon as they come into Thessalonica, there's some Jews there uh, and, and idol makers that know who they are and they know the story that they're bringing and they don't want them there. They don't want them to disrupt them. So they drag, they can't find Paul and Silas and so they find a couple of Christians and they drag them in front of the magistrates and they say to them this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come to our city also. These are people who hated the gospel. They didn't want it. But they at least had seen what the gospel had done. It had, in their eyes, turned the world upside down. And they didn't want it coming into their city and doing the same thing. Those who witness, what you find when you read the gospels, when you read the New Testament, is that those who witnessed the original events found that when this story is preached, it changes people's lives. That's it. And it's also part and parcel why we're about this on Thursday nights. Why would we do, you know, maybe our music's a little funky according to your taste. Maybe my humor is probably definitely going to be a little funky according to your taste. But we do the same thing every week. Why? Because we have the full expectation that when this story is preached, as it is given to us in the Bible, that it changes people's lives. And that's our prayer and our hope for you as you encounter it here and beyond, right? And so you may still be asking, let's wrap this up. You may still be asking, okay, I get it a little bit maybe, but how exactly is this good news? Why exactly is this good news? I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Putting it as only C.S. Lewis can, right? Why or how is that? Well, again, let me, what N.T. Wright said, right? N.T. Wright said that Christianity is about something that happened. It's about something that happened to Jesus. And it's about something that happened through Jesus. So in other words... Christianity cannot be merely about some new moral teaching. It cannot be just about some new information that tells us how to do the right things. That cannot be what Christianity is about. That's not good news. 
It cannot be um, some, that Jesus was just some wonderful moral example, though he was. He's the most righteous person that has ever lived. But it cannot be that he was just some excellent moral example, because that's not good news. Because on my best day, I am nowhere near that. It also cannot be about some new route or some new method to get to heaven or to get to God. Again, that's not good news. That's try harder. How is this good news? N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, The need which the Christian faith answers is not so much that we are ignorant and need better information, but that we are lost and that we need someone to come find us. That's it. And I think if you go and read this gospel on your own, or if you keep coming back, that's what you will hear from, from me, I know. And what you'll see over and over again in every page of this book. It's not that we're, we lack some information. It's that we are lost and we need someone to come find us. So in other words, we need this Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is that he came and he did and he said all the things that this book tells us that he came and he did and he said. That's good news because we need Jesus and we need to know Jesus and we need to be for sure about Jesus. Now, does that mean you're something less if you're not for sure? No. But what Luke and others will tell you in the Bible is that you can be. And they want to help you be that, be more sure. Why? Why? Why is all this? Because, think about it, if Jesus was who he said he was, if Jesus did what he said he came to do, then we have to listen and obey everything that he ever said. That's why if it's false, it's of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. But you know what this really tells us? And this is what we'll continue to hammer home as well. What this really tells us is that Jesus is who he said he was. If Jesus really came and did what he said he came to do, What it means then is that the answer to life and everything cannot lie in here. It cannot be found in yourself. It just can't. I don't know if you ever heard of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was a book, and then it was made into a movie that was terrible. Um, but in, the, in this book, Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, it's sci-fi, it's weird. But anyway, there's a deep, one of the characters is a supercomputer named Deep Thought. Okay? Really um, mind-blowing there. Um, deep Thought, uh, the supercomputer, is tasked with determining, quote, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Okay? This supercomputer is given the task to answer the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Well, supercomputer takes about undertaking this task, and it takes him seven and a half million years. Him. I called the computer him. Whatever. Um, it takes the computer seven and a half million years. But finally, after seven and a half million years, all these people get together, and they, they get together to hear the answer. What is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the university, university, the universe... And everything. Hail State. Um, you want to know what the answer was? 42. It's not a joke. <laughs> um, where's the punchline, right? And so one of the characters, somebody screams out, 42? Is that all you have to show for seven and a half million years' work? To which Deep Thought says, 
I've checked it thoroughly, and that is definitely the answer. (laughs) I think the problem, to be quite honest with you, is that you've never actually known what the question is. And that's the one that pierces the heart, right? You know, um, though many of you might not see it now, I suspect that many of you are beginning to suspect that the the answer to life and the universe and everything that you've been fed your whole life... I suspect that many of you are beginning to suspect if the answers you've been fed are just as absurd as 42. Right? You feel that, I think, when you come to somewhere like college, especially a place as big as this. Trust me, I felt it 15 years ago as a freshman here. Right? Um, Because what college and the world around you has been telling you your whole life is that everything, everything is up to you. Your performance, your achievement, saying the right thing, doing the right thing, wearing the right thing, wearing the right letters, whatever. It's what you've been told your whole life. Some of you are already licking the wounds and trying to heal from the damage that that has done to your soul. Others of you are two days into college and you're already wondering why it hurts so bad. And you're beginning to wonder if the answers that you've been given to life and the universe and everything are maybe kind of absurd. But this is what I'm telling you. This is what Luke is telling you and will keep telling you. Good news. And that it comes through Jesus. And it comes to looking to Jesus. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now catch this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him did all those things? What was that joy? This is my favorite illustration and my best illustration. And I'm just giving it to you on the first night. All right? It all goes downhill from here. Um, What is that joy that was set before him? The best illustration I've ever heard on that question comes from Hook. The movie Hook about Peter Pan where Robin Williams plays an adult Hook. Um, who's a lawyer and he's really boring and his kids hate him. Um, And then Captain Hook kidnaps his children, takes him away to Neverland, and uh, adult Peter Pan finds himself in Neverland, but he doesn't remember that he's Peter Pan, right? But he wants to get his children back. And the whole movie, the Lost Boys and and the fairy, why do I forget the fairy's name? Anyway, sorry, fairy. Um, Tinkerbell, there you go. Um, (laughs) My daughter's going to kill me. Um... (laughs) They're all telling him, you're never going to learn to fly again if you don't find your happy thought, right? That's what the whole movie's about. He's got to find his happy thought. And he's trying, he's like doing his lawyer best to find the happy thought. Finally, at the end of the movie, there he is, adult Peter Pan, back in his tights. It's the best thing ever. He flies into battle, right, with the pirates, and he's going to save his children. And so he's fighting off pirates. He's the old Peter Pan. And he finds his son, his son who hated him, his son who actually had become a pirate and is actually wearing the garments of rebellion. As he looks upon his father and he's trying to remember who his father is and he's taking off pirate garb, rebellion garb, one piece after another. And finally his father flies down and tells him who he is and how he learned to fly. And he says this, Jack, 
you won't believe this. I found my happy thought, and it took me three days to find it. But you know what happened when I did? Up I went. And you know what my happy thought was? It was you. And it's in that moment that Peter Pan's son remembers who he is. And they're reunited, right? You see, here it is. If Jesus really was who he said he was, if Jesus really came and did what he said he came to do, then what that means is that Jesus came and did something for you. And what it means is that he didn't come merely to show you how to please God, but actually to show you very tangibly how pleased God is with you. And what that then tells us is that real certainty, real certainty comes when you finally know and when you finally believe that you can actually be saved by grace by something outside of yourself, by something that you don't deserve, and by something that you could never do anything to get. That's when real certainty comes in. And that's an invitation, because that is good news. And by God's will, I will hold that out to you week after week after week, because that's what the Bible and that's what God did for me. So I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll find this a safe place. I hope you find friends if that's what you're looking for. But above all, I hope you find Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story. We thank you for this man, your son, whom you sent because you love us. Because you love us, you gave him to us, you gave him for us. And because he loves us, he gave his life that we might be your children. Father, we need that story. We need that good news. We need it tonight. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.